Blog Talk Radio. I'm Raina Starcy, you don't have to be. Desperate Housewives is not a G, PG, or even an R-rated show, so bad language, bodily function, dirty talk of any kind might offend you. This is not the show for you. Desperate Housewives is brought to you by the amazingly wicked one herself, the incredible Dorothy Morrison. Please check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witching needs. And don't forget... Next month, the merry month of May, is the merry, merry, merry month of Morrison. And I don't know what we got going on, but I will let you know as soon as I find out. Plus, she will also be making an appearance the second Friday of May. So check it out, www.wickedwitchstudios.com. All right. With me for the hour is my friend, author and journalist, Terrence P. Ward. Hey, Terrence, what's going on? Raina, your introductions always make me laugh. I never get tired of them. <laughs> well, I hope that's good. I don't know. It's just what I do. People know where they are when they hear that. It's the same one all uh-huh. the time. You know what? It's like any TV show that you get your hands on. It's going to have the same theme music, and the announcer is usually – it's kind of like a Guy Fieri thing. I don't know if you watch Food Network at all. But the intro for Diners Driving – and dives is always the same, so I do it the same way. Yeah, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a goober. So what's been going on with you? It's been more than a minute since you and I last spoke. Um, what's been happening? I've been getting back into the world. In fact, I was just at uh, Sacred Space in Between the Worlds last week, which was my first really big conference and I don't know how long. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And everybody was there. Like everybody was there. It was very exciting from what I could see. Unfortunately, I don't get to do but one. Yeah. I mean, it's like everyone I know, lots of people I want to meet were there. Yeah. Someday I will get there. So did you present? What did you, what were you doing there? Were you just hanging out? What's your, what was your situation? I I did present, which was really thrilling. That was another gift of the pandemic because this thing was locked down and then they had to push it back. And I asked the organizers if they had any cancellations and they, if they'd consider a workshop and they took me, which was really nerve wracking because this is like high level stuff. Uh huh. Yeah. So you got, but it went really, really well. Yeah. When was the last time I, prior to this had you presented live? I I actually had a couple of chances in the past year. Um, I was at uh, Witches Fest last uh, last summer in Manhattan, and uh, yep. and I got to present on a street corner, which is something I've never done before. Wow! <laughs> like <laughs> physically sitting where the curb was, it was it was a very different experience. And I also tried to get up to um, 
to the Lunasa that uh, Kirk White puts on at uh, the Laurelland Retreat Center in Vermont at least every few years, and it had been a while, and I, and I, I had a lot of good reception there as well. Well, that's wonderful. So what was your class on when you went to uh, Sacred Space? This one was called uh, Depression, the Ancestral Gift. I was, I was talking about how depression comes from, has been with humans for more generations than we can count and, uh, and talked about some of the ways that our ancestors might have managed it and what sorts of insights we might learn by, by connecting with them better. Wow. That, that's pretty intense because when I think of depression, especially generational depression, the first thing that comes to my mind is guilt. Guilt, the gift that keeps on giving, especially when it's, you know, given to you by your family or other loved ones. I mean, where where does depression come from? Is it a lack of feeling in the self, or is it really what people impress upon you as what you should or should not be or be doing? Yeah, that really is the open question. I think it's it's one of those those many situations where there's things in our evolution that made sense maybe even 10,000 years ago but really have a hard time adapting to the modern life because we get stress from so many different places now it used to be there was a time when stress was how to avoid the saber-toothed cat or 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 the enemy tribe but now there's you know facebook could give you enough stress to put you over the edge we are not ready for this 21st century Seriously not. And I see exactly what you're talking about because the immediate and radical effect that we have on each other through social media, I don't think anybody bargained for how damaging it could be. And I know people are like, well, if it upsets you, just scroll on by. Or, well, if it's not for you, just don't pay attention. And I see where people, now I'm old, so I don't give a fuck. You know, <laughs> say whatever you want about me. That shit don't matter. Um, I, you know, I'm not looking for a job. I'm not looking for a, a spouse or a lover or an anything. I'm very contented in my life. It just seems like the things that we quote unquote strive for are the things that enable depression to come in. And, you know, when you're old and don't give a shit anymore because you're not looking for all the things we're supposed to quote unquote supposed to look for in youth, you just learn to care a whole lot less. Um, but I find it fascinating because people do not realize how severely they damage each other on social media. What a crazy phenomenon. The thing that was supposed to bring us together has really gone very far to driving us apart, huh? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we do know how to, uh, to kill a good thing, don't we? It, it, we, we just don't yeah. understand what we're going to do. Once we have it, <laughs> I guess we should have seen it coming, but we're not that wise. Well, because I think that there, you know, there used to be a thing about people being basically good, and that being a widely held theory for for however many decades. But you know, in recent years, in the last seven to ten years, you just see how shitty people can really be. 
are people inherently good, do you think, or are we all kind of assholes? <laughs> you know, I I do think that even when we are assholes, I think we are trying to do good in some way, at least for ourselves. I I know that nobody thinks that they're the villain. And and you know, maybe that's delusion Maybe maybe that's just like a trick of our own brain chemistry, but you know, I I, I imagine that even the people who who do some of the most awful things, on on some level, believe that is is their best choice, which which means we have a long way to go. No shit. I mean, listen, we're always going to be besieged with unhealthy factors in our life, whether it's you know. Toxicity from family, toxicity from politics, toxicity from social media. You know, there's there are ways to limit shit, but I would assume that, you know, for younger, more impressionable people, well, even for older, more impressionable people, there's there's got to feel like a big black hole. I mean, I see a lot of people online really super, super struggling, whether it's because the pandemic took their job or somebody said something that people misunderstood. There just seems to be this whole, again, mob mentality, don't know how to extricate themselves from. How do you deal with it? I mean, not that anybody's coming after you because you're pretty straightforward and well, yeah, I mean, but you're pretty straightforward and an on-the-level guy. But, you know, I mean, in my dealings with you, I've never had a problem, so I can only go by that. You know, what other people experience is kind of their issue, problem, experience, whatever. You know what I mean? Well, it's like, you I know, can, to be fair, only, we've at least spoken yeah. to each other. We, we can hear each other. We can hear what we think we yeah. understand in our tone of voice. When you're, when you're totally sure. through social media and you're just looking at what people type, you're, you're making up your own story about what those words mean. And, and it doesn't matter if a person has the best of intentions. You can, you can see some awful things in what they say. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> and people get really defensive. Instead of maybe taking the extra step to explain something that sounds you know, something that people would normally judge. Like I'm seeing, okay, so just far out example, apparently there's this new um, series that's going to be done by J.K. Rowling, and, you know, we know her views because she's shared them, and it's not something I'm, but apparently there are people online who support it. Okay. Um, Uh You know, and when... When asked about it, holy shit, people lose their, I mean, wow, people get defensive really fucking fast. Well, I can do what I want. Well, of course you can, dear. We're just trying to understand. It's not me even asking the questions. It's me just observing shit because I don't need to get in the mix. This show is my way of getting in the mix. This is how I say who I am and what I do and what I believe. And if you won't come for me on my show, well, I guess you can. I just won't give a fuck. Anyway, but, boy, the the, the need to or the desire. See, it, it used to be a situation where you thought you were doing the right thing for holding up what's right and good. But now it's almost like people are just waiting 
for someone to make a mistake. And I don't think, you know, words have consequences. Everything has consequences, you know? If yeah. you believe in something and you're in a, in a group of people that you fucking already know do not agree with this position, why are you trying to rub it in everybody's face? Is it a grab for attention? Because I wonder how these things are related. Because I can only imagine enough bad uh, attention, even though you think you're holding up your right to be whatever you are, that's got to lead to some pretty intense forms of depression too. Don't you think? Oh, the, the, uh, the, the, what is it, the cognitive dissonance of, 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 of yeah. trying to hold that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that uh, a good example of that is just read 1984. Their whole world, that whole world is based on that. It's, it's a, oh, no it, yeah, that can't be good. Yeah. You just live, well, live just try to live your truth. It, you know, you might not like it, but try to live your truth and be authentic to yourself at least. I know, but see, some people want to draw the heat. Now, here's something interesting. You brought up 1984. I cannot tell you how many of my friends have actually read 1984, aside from three or four of them, because people huh. know, and this drives me fucking nuts. People don't read. <laughs> they don't, parents. They don't read. They dim. They uh, read a first paragraph or sentence and make a, an assumption based on that headline or first paragraph. And I have gotten into arguments in my own home because the first paragraph had nothing to do with the reality of the statement in the body of the article. Uh-huh. Yeah, and clickbait has made it worse because people are not thoroughly reading anything. I have a situation at my day job, and it just drives me absolutely insane, and it makes me really sad. And I'm wondering if sometimes my sadness goes a little too far because the people that I see stepping into certain roles who have not been really vetted or really appropriately trained are making some really stupid errors because they don't read. And I think when you take away someone's love of reading, you kind of zap half the spirit out of them because there's so much more they could know and experience and share and do just through reading something completely or as completely as possible. I mean, you can't read a paragraph and assume you know what's actually going on, whether it's a book or an article or a screenplay or whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah, there's there's just so many layers to it. Do you ever get sad watching social media? You know, I came to the realization a couple of years ago that I'm probably not the best person to be on social media and I've really curtailed my activities there because I fear I might do more harm than good because, well, it triggers my jerk button. <laughs> and I will tell you, in all fairness, how does it not trigger everyone's 
jerk response, quite frankly. Yeah. I mean, I see my I see my friends being friends with some people, and I'm like, uh, I know you, and I can't believe you're actually engaging. And I think, you know, on the whole, I look at what folks post on social media, and I don't know. Is it that we weren't this sad before? Is it that it was all hidden because we weren't so interconnected? Is sadness just a human condition? I think I think it's actually maybe the opposite. It's it's not that we're seeing more of people. It's that we're really just seeing less because we're only seeing these teeny slivers of what people put online. If you can't see the big picture of someone of who someone is and you're just judging on those tiny little bits, it really is a distorted view of the person. Yeah, and there's but there are people that just seem to only post sad things, you know, like you won't hear from them for weeks and weeks and weeks. But when they're sad they it's it's like the only time they really reach out for for interaction is when they're sad. And I think that's yeah. kind of dangerous. Don't you think that's kind of dangerous? Yeah, yeah, because it's it's certainly not going to help the isolation that that that's that's fueling that problem. In, in in anything, it's going to make it worse because social media just seems to amplify all the worst aspects of, of human interaction. It's, it's not only that, but I also find that when when you have somebody online, you know, and you see nothing but negative, I think people start shying away from and I've seen this happen in, you know, in my life with folks where if they're only posting negative stuff, you can see that the responses start to drop, even when things yeah. seem to improve, because people have been so turned off. Because, no, you know, we all have enough sad in our own situations that, you know, and I know that a lot of people do it because they don't want the, someone else to feel alone or they want someone to know that they understand what they're going through. But I find that too much of that and not sharing some of the positive really makes people go, oh, another sad one. I got to keep going. I got to keep strong. I <laughs> I just can't today. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your word is going to bring you down. Absolutely. Because I have found that that has happened to me where, Someone has just been so sad for so, I mean, because at first we're all like, well, we're here if you want to talk and, you know, if you need something and, and we can help, we're, we're right here. And I know that's kind of weird and maybe it sounds hollow if the person's not close enough to see in person, but, I mean, for most of us, it's kind of the best we can do because we're all trying to make it through life with our jobs and, you know, whatever else we have going on in life Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe maybe i'm just talking shit um (laughs) isn't that the theme of our podcast Uh, i'm sorry isn't that the theme of the podcast yeah it is (laughs) it always is i don't know i because for me it's all a jest i'm just trying to learn shit before i leave this earthly plane and go on to whatever the next interesting shit might be. 
because I'm sure there's other interesting shit. This can't be all of it. Yeah, but this is the the most meat sackiest part of it. Definitely sacky. Living in our meat sacks, and <laughs> and and this is how we're 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 hitting each other with our meat sacks, rubbing them together, screaming at each other. That's this our yep. meat sack life. Yeah. Okay. Talk to me again about the Depression Shrine. We haven't talked for a while about that. It's been since your book, Empty Cauldrons, came out. It's been a while. And I must admit, my brain does not hold as much shit as it should, or certainly as much (laughs) shit as it used to, which is why I keep having to have these fucking conversations because my brain can't hold anything anymore. But you know what? I know that it's not just me. I know that we all get books and they help us and then we put the book down and we forget about it. So, yeah, yeah y- y'all, are stuck, y'all, y'all are stuck with me while I make him redo this with me. <laughs> Go ahead, Karen. Well, the, the basic principle of, of a depression shrine is to set up someplace else for depression to hang out that you can mm-hmm. give it some attention and make it happy without it making your life suck directly. You, 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 you set up an object and you put it in a place where you're going to give it offerings and give it attention. And over time, if, if it works right, you're going to not experience the depression directly because it's going to feel like you're safe and well and you don't need its help and that it can just hang out in this nice little cozy place that you've made for it. I've actually developed a kit for starting a, a depression totem to put in a shrine that, that, I, was, that I, I handed out to people at Sacred Space, which was really well received. And uh, I, I was very excited to come up with that. It, and uh, and one, of the, one of the people that I've, I've spoken to, because turns out, as you might not be surprised at this, but there's a lot of people who have experience with this stuff. And I've, yeah. I've spoken to a lot of mental health professionals who adore the book, and, and one of them said to me, yeah, anything that allows you to distance yourself from what you're feeling, maybe enter into dialogue in it, like the journal exercises that I, I put in my book or, or the depression shrine is a big plus for helping you relate to what's going on because you need to be able to – take one step to the left to take a look at this thing and say, hey, what do you want from me? That's that's heavy shit. (laughs) So many reasons to have that, to do that, um, to have that shrine, you know, from childhood. Something interesting that has happened to me since the last time we talked because um, you and I had talked originally when the book first came out, um, mm-hmm. and I, I told you about, you know, some stuff I had gone through, and I was very candid online talking about, you know, previous suicidal ideation and things of that nature. Well, and a lot, and it all pretty much stems from childhood. Well, <laughs> around December of last year, I got a phone call from my mother, who proceeded to announce that my father was a horrible person. My father was obviously my main and first abuser. 
um, and how she did not miss him when he died. And she was, I mean, she finally spilled all of this stuff that I had been waiting to hear for over 40 plus years. And she just, wow. it, it was like someone pulled the drain plug and all the water was coming out. It was crazy. And I'm, and I mean, at first I, flipped out, I cried, I screamed, I'm like, you waited till now to say this to me. I mean, I really lost my shit. But what an amazing and interesting process it has been. And people who know me have noticed that I'm not as sad as I used to like not that I was actively sad. I just, you know, but I think we carry these generational things with us. And whether we speak them or not, or or continue to experience them even in our own thoughts, it's it's almost as though this thing that had been sitting on my head was suddenly gone, and it really made me feel. I don't know. At first, I didn't know how to feel. I was kind of shocked, and you know, I can see that I'm happier since then, but it's still touch and go because I come from very strange people. And very selfish people. Not the nicest people either. I mean, that's just a a fact about my family. I come from people who lie, who cheat, who do terrible things to each other. It's an ongoing process that I've tried to stop in my own situation. But unfortunately, my second husband was a piece of shit um, who was very violent and Interestingly enough, eight weeks after the conversation with my mother, he dropped it. So it's like oh. anything that tried to hold me back or down or make me sad or feel horrible was sudden. Like all these things were suddenly gone in a really short amount of time. I'm still processing. It's only been a number of weeks. I'm still processing all of the stuff that has happened in the last four months. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, the 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 fact that you you have an opportunity to settle any unfinished business with your mother is a real gift. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I will tell you, it was two hours of unload, and he just accepted it. It was remarkable. Now, we've also had conversations about her move to Christianity. Because while she was married to my father, she became a Pentecostal preacher. And I'm like, so I'm quietly wheedling that back and down some. It's like, mother, you know, that was all bullshit and it wasn't your idea. And you kind of felt prey to master manipulation. And you've got to let that go and release yourself from that bondage because, you know, She's always been a very nervous person and under the gun by him. My father was very abusive. My husband was, I just, you know, for whatever reason, two of the main people in my life were very bad people. You know, I guess we marry one of our parents to try to resolve our shit. Didn't work out in this life. Ah. <laughs> no, no babies. It doesn't always work out. Uh, but I tried. But seriously, you know, 
I'm so great. And you said it was such a gift, absolutely such a gift to be able to at least have these beginning conversations with her having now where it's like, you know, she has a podcast. I have a podcast. Now, hers is about Christianity. Mine is the opposite. So it's kind of interesting. <laughs> We're going to have to have that talk at some point, I am sure. Uh, her sister knows all about it because my my aunt is the one person who knows all sides of everything. I keep her in the loop. But, I mean, we're talking about older folks, you know. We're talking – my mother's 83 this year. My aunt is 80, just turned 80. So it's kind of like, do we hold it or do we just fucking let it go? I don't know what the right thing to do is because I just want to bust all of this bullshit that we've been living under for decades and just get released from it before we release out of this joint. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there is healing in letting things go, but I think that there's something to be said for having someone that that hurt you acknowledge it and perhaps apologize for it. It makes it a lot easier to let it go if that happens. It does. And, you know, while my father was the main abuser, my mother let him do it. And I said to her, you let this happen to me. And she acknowledged it. She's like, I absolutely did. You're right. I Please forgive. I mean, it was a whole conversation of me screaming and her saying, please forgive me. And I never thought it would happen. Now, the person who I really want to say, please forgive me, is long, long, long dead. But I'm figuring we're going to come back and do another round at some point so we can get that shit straightened out. I'm not necessarily looking forward to that. I don't know if you believe in reincarnation like that or if we all if we fix it all on the other side once we're all over there. I have no idea. There's a lot of stuff beyond the veil that sounds wonderful, and there's a lot of questions, too. It's like, okay, but do we get to resolve our shit? I don't know. What do you think? Well, all I'm going to say is I'm going to tie it back to where I was last week because last Sunday at Sacred Space there was a uh, a workshop on resurrecting necromancy on Easter. <laughs> okay. I love it. I love it. Necromancy is not something I ever got into, but it applies. I got you. <laughs> this is why I like it. Yeah. It's so funny. There was a lot of sense of humor in those organizers. No doubt. Oh, dude, no doubt. That's funny, though. I'm sorry I missed it. So tell me what's been going on with you since the book released, and and people have been, no doubt, looking for your next book. Tell me what's been going on with you. Oh, yeah. Well, for one thing, one thing I didn't expect to happen about after writing a book on depression is to have more opportunities to work on myself and really work through where how I got to where I am in my own life. I I had a, a pretty clear idea that I was just one of those people that, you know, drew the short straw and, and depression just kind of happened. But, you know, yeah. I thought about it some more and I thought about it's some more and I realized, oh, there really were some specific events that I've experienced that, that helped me get to that point and, and I need to actually process some of those, which has been 
a wonderful and challenging experience. And I'm, I did not expect that to be a gift of writing a book. Apparently, all you have to do is write a book about something and you can start fixing it. <laughs> if it were that easy. <laughs> yeah. We'd all be yeah. writing books. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So I have to ask. And I'm not going to ask you to get into specifics because it's none of my business. But, but I am going to ask, the things that you found you had to work on, were they things that primarily started in childhood? Or was it oh, yeah. a combination? Oh, okay, okay. Cause, you know, oh, definitely. I don't, I, don't, I don't want people to discount the things that happen to them as adults. You know, a lot of folks don't get beat up by the world until they're a little bit older. Some of us get beaten up from day one. Some of us don't. I mean, and it's not the same story for everybody. Although I do notice that a lot of things start in childhood. So you, so your your situation was rooted in childhood stuff. Wow. Yeah, and I do think you're right that uh, what what happens to you over the course of your life, it might be something you can shake off for the course of your life, or it might be that you have a bunch of generational trauma that makes it a lot easier to shake off anything because you're starting on your back foot. And it, you know, it really mm-hmm. it's a, a roll of the dice, how much each of us can endure before it's just too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. You know, when my husband had his car accident a year ago in February, February's has not been working out for me. Um, wow. It's been a year before we went on the what air, happened? I was, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Terrence and I were discussing February, how February as a month doesn't seem to like me over the last couple of years. You know, last February, my husband almost died in a car crash. This past February, a tree fell through the roof of my car. I fell at a dealership and busted my knee open. Uh, my ex-husband Oof. died, unexpe- well, semi-expectedly. I mean, it's, but all in the month of February. So it's been kind of a weird one but you know when I when he had the accident last year I kind of went into meltdown and you know it's a very interesting thing when you're talking to your therapist and you're freaking out and hysterical in tears and you say am I having a nervous breakdown and your therapist says yeah but you'll be all right (laughs) (laughs) and she was right I was and I am. I'm okay. But shit happens, and there's nothing. I, I just want to impress upon folks because back in the day, you know, a lot of people who could have been helped with therapy, medication, fill in the blank, didn't get it because it was taboo, and you know, it was considered yeah. to be weak to have these these issues of depression or you know neurodivergence, being bipolar, which my father was, being manic depressive, which my father was having OCD, which my father did, um, back then they called it nervous. And when it was suggested to him that maybe he could benefit from some help, he completely dismissed everyone, and which unfortunately is why so many people wound up dismissing him um, until he became a pastor. My father looked for any excuse to be on the stage and in front of people. It's kind of insane. But, you know, these things that can be helped, if you're getting help, do not be embarrassed. I want folks to know we need to talk about mental health. It's very important, um, and it's okay to, to 
let go of, you know, a lot of people stay in fear because they feel like if they stay in fear or sadness, then they won't be disappointed. The problem with that is that you also don't experience joy. So you're going to have to let some of that go. And when you have happiness and good things in your life, don't dismiss or discount them. Thoroughly enjoy them because whether or not they stay around doesn't even matter at the point that you've decided you're going to be sad in spite of it. You're, you're not doing anything to promote more happiness in your life. So you might as well just enjoy the good times. They may end, they may not end. So why not just like hang out and really enjoy it while it's happening, you know? Yeah, if that other shoe is going to drop, it's going to drop. If if you're if you're if you're clenched up and ready for the worst all the time, it's actually going to hurt more when it comes. You think? I think people. Oh I yeah. Think people believe. I think people believe that they're. I'm prepared. I'm prepared for only bad. I'm prepared. Nothing can hurt me because it's going to be bad anyway. And when you start to unclench that. You find that the things, a lot of the things that you fear the most don't even really happen. I mean, it's not uh-huh. to say that shitty things won't happen and are we going to lose people we love? Yes. Are bad things going to happen? Are people going to get sick? Yes. But why rob them of you at a joyful point? Because the experience of being human and being human with other people is that we get to laugh together and love each other and have a good time, are bad things going to happen? Yes, they will. They will never not happen. But the more you want to hold on to the sadness, the less actual life you're going to get. And it's a short answer. Yeah. So people, the people have obviously resonated with this book. There is no question of that, which we knew they would. Well, I knew they would. I don't know what you know. <laughs> I thought they would because it resonated with me and as I discussed it with other people, it, you know, the idea of, of, of trying to separate your, you know, you, you don't want to make your whole life about the sadness and depression and the ability to separate yourself from it. It's, you know, you're not throwing it away or discounting it. You're basically putting it in a space where it's there, but you can get back to it later. You can step away. And the more you step oh, yeah. away, the more chance you give yourself to maybe stay away from the depression a little bit. You know, tend to it, feed it when it needs feeding, but then say, okay, that's, I've taken care of you now. Now I'm going to go do some shit that makes me happy, whatever that is, whether it's walking, writing, or playing music, or going for a drive in the car. You know, show it its place. Treat it like a separate entity. And I think that's so important. And For me, it was a really novel concept that I didn't have to accept it into the whole of my being. It's part of me, but it doesn't have to be the whole of my being. Exactly. One of the uh, the workshops that I took this past week, actually, it it, it wasn't about that, but it kind of reminded me of it. Uh, Nigel Lightfoot gave... uh, of an excellent Love talk her. on magical dolls. I'd never met Nadja before, but I was, yeah. I was I was blown away. There's 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 someone I want to know better, and and uh, and Nadja introduced us to several dolls. And one of the things that that what we learned is you can you can tell a doll your secrets. 
and they're not going to tell anybody yeah. else. And, and I thought, wow, what a powerful thought to be able to yeah. just kind of unload some of this stuff that's burdening you. Yeah. That you feel people will judge and, you about if you're thinking or feeling. Right. And just so folks know, Nadja Lightfoot is the author of Good Juju and Powerful Juju and such a dear human being in my life and <clears throat> whom I adore, who I'm finally getting to meet at Mystic South this year. I meant to ask you, are you coming to Atlanta this year to see us? As a matter of fact, I just got my workshop approved. Great. I'm gonna hug your neck so hard if you let me. <laughs> I was I was I was I was I was gonna save that till you asked. <laughs> oh yeah. Because I know no, you'll be at Mrs. because so you always are. I am. Yes, I'm so oh, this is gonna be great. You'll have to be on the live show that I do from the Six South. So you're already roped in because all my listeners just heard you just heard me say it to you. Yep, so yep. there you go. And, um, and, and, I, and I'm really all in because because my birthday happens that during the conference. No kidding. My husband's birthday yeah. and our anniversary also happened during the conference. You will be my guest one night. We will have a blast. Okay, that's that's Oh, that's what, 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 what date is your husband's birthday? Uh, my husband's birthday is celebrated on the Wednesday. We get there early. And then Saturday ah. night of the con- Saturday night of the conference a whole group of us go over to a beautiful Spanish restaurant that is nearby the hotel, and you're you're invited, of course. Um, and we have dinner there for our anniversary every year. So I'm so excited. Oh, to sounds have you like join fun. Us. Yes. Oh, lovely. That's oh, good. Wonderful. You know, sometimes oh, you get bored at conferences. I'll, I'm glad to know I'll have something to do. Oh, you totally will, and I'll be annoying the living shit out of you a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> be prepared. Um, no, it, 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 we have a lot of fun. Mystic South is a great conference. I'm a little jealous. I've never been to Sacred Space Between the Worlds. I know uh, one of those only happens once every four years or so uh, between the worlds. Because I know Sacred Space, yeah, I think, it's, is it's annual. Yeah, it's astrologically, and I, I don't know. Yes. I, I actually asked Evo Dominguez Jr. when the next one would be. He said, and he said to me, I'm not even done with this conference yet. Don't talk to me now. They have to cast a chart to figure out when it's going to be. Exactly. No, and, and Evo is such a dear person and wonderful, and I'm so looking forward to him. There are so many great people that I didn't get to see last year, but I'm absolutely planning with this year you're one of them i'm i'm ecstatic it's it's going to be a great time and you know that's another thing about and i i I know this is weird because i'm tying it back into depression but i find that when you plan things to look forward to it kind of really makes depression take a back seat if you can plan even if it's one or two things in a year to have a focus taken away from the thing that is holding you back, whatever the sadness is. And Mystic South has been this for me since the beginning of, you know, since its creation, really. Where uh-huh. if I can focus, if I focus on that, it eliminates a lot of negative thoughts because it's such a big thing for me to look forward to. Again, with it also being 
our anniversary, my husband's birthday, I mean, all these different things. Having something to look forward to is so important for mental health. And I think people deny themselves um, so much. It, but it doesn't have to be an every week thing. I mean, if you have something big to plan for, don't you find that that helps deter a lot of the, some of the, well, not a lot of it, but maybe some of the day-to-day sadness that sometimes creeps into our lives? Yeah, it gives you, it gives you a focus. If, if you have too much on your plate, it can have the opposite effect. But having, as you said, right. a couple of things in the future that, that you're, you're planning for, it, it really can give you a focus, and that's, that's a kind of lifeline. It really is. And space them well apart. You know, when one thing ends, you know, it's nice to have something after, like, for example, this year, I have Mystic South plans, and then there's a comedian coming to town in October who I've been dying to see. So, you know, if you're in Charlotte, Kathleen Madigan is going to be here in October. I love her. I think she's hilarious. So those are my two big, big events for the year, Mystic South and, and that show in October. And I'm sure by the time nice. Mystic South is over, I will have planned at least one more thing for the beginning of 2024. So it's just, these, you know, again, it, it doesn't have to be huge, huge, huge. It doesn't have to be a lot. Like you said, when you have too many things on your dance card, you can wind up getting overwhelmed and it can really backfire because then there's the sadness from, from that comes from not being able to accomplish everything. So tricky. Yeah. We're so tricky as humans. Don't you find it really it's so is. tricky to manage? I mean, to manage emotions and to manage not just your own, but the ones you come in contact with, you know, being in an interpersonal relationship of any kind being in a relationship with your boss, with your children, even with your friends. There's this constant negotiation that seems to happen where we, you know, and for a lot of us, we're second-guessing ourselves and, you know, I I want people to have less second-guessing. Have fewer of those moments. Start trusting yourself because I did all of these things. I second-guessed everything and I worried constantly and worry and depression are best friends and they intermingle and sometimes they change places when you're not looking overwhelming feeling of I can't do it all but I'm trying whoever told us that we needed that we could do everything really needs their head examined we're not supposed to do everything that's a yeah. fallacy. That is a complete and utter myth that was handed to us by, and I am a boomer, but the older, like I'm on the tail end of that, so I kind of like relate but don't relate. The people that told us we could do it all just wanted us to try to do it all because they couldn't do it all. Nobody can fucking do it all. I'm just telling you. I've tried doing it yeah. all. Doing it all is for the fucking birds. Please. What happened to you when you tried to do it all? What happened to me? Yeah. Like, didn't you try to do it all at one point? Oh yeah, I've 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 definitely gone through waves of of, you know I don't I don't think 
I am a bipolar person, but I've definitely when when I have had like times when I am free of depression, I have sometimes made the mistake of biting off more than I can chew and say yes. I have all the energy, all the motivation. I can do all these things, and and then you just crash and burn really fast because you don't yeah. know how to do it. It's yeah. like it's like a it's like a young drinker not knowing what to do at a party. Oh geez, yeah, you've gone too far, Charles. You've gone too far. No, but it's true <laughs> because when you've been when you've had a period of depression, and again, you know, going back to my situation last year where I was literally having a nervous breakdown. And they medicated me for it, which was very helpful. Uh, you know, I was able to sleep. I was able to function, you know, and then everything tapered off because I started coming out of it. When you start coming out of it, you feel like you're almost superhuman and you can take on everything. All contraire. Nuh-uh. Not even close. And that, you know, so don't be fooled by the fact that you even feel better. Be gentle with your person. None of us can do it all. I tried. It hurt when I fell again. Oh, no, no. We have to be in community. Absolutely. I mean, during the pandemic, you know, it was a great period of, at first there was a period of fear, not knowing what was going to happen. And I had been very sad for the previous six months, I had this feeling of impending doom. And I had no idea why. But I would cry all the time. I felt like everything, I was about to lose everything. For no apparent reason, I thought I was going to lose my husband, my job, our home. I mean, just everything felt like it was slipping away. And we had just moved into this beautiful place where we live. And everything was going great. And then all of a sudden, the pandemic hit. And three weeks into the pandemic, I completely stopped crying and I was fine. (laughs) I'm like, well, I guess that must have been what was coming that I couldn't figure out. Now, two weeks before my husband's car accident, I had this same thing that something horrible was going to happen to him and that he was going to be gone. Now, fortunately, he is not gone. But it was very close. So I'm like, either I'm really hypersensitive or I, I'm hearing something and I don't know what it is or I'm just interpreting something weird. But it, I don't know. It was just such a strange sensation. But during the pandemic, all of the festivals had been canceled. So all of the places where writers would go to speak about their books and give workshops, that was all over. And people were yeah. still, still figuring out Zoom and how to use Zoom. And I was like, well, what can I do to help the situation? So I started booking three to four shows a week. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I was tired. And I was working full, still working full time. We never missed a beat for my company. But, I mean, we were we were really busy. And I really did not understand how big a chunk to try to help. I'm not trying to be a martyr, just trying to be like, oh, this is good for me, this is good for you. You know, you're on, I'm on, we're both on. Let's let's do it more and keep people in front of the public as much as possible. It was the most exhausting year and a half to two years of my life. Oh, so I'm sure. When the pandemic, 
Yeah, so when people started having events again, like a year, year and a half ago, more like, yeah, it was like a year and a half ago, maybe even two years, and I started backing off, and I'm back now to only doing one or two shows a week. It's like part of me is like, oh, fuck, am I letting everybody down? But it's like, no, bitch, you fine. <laughs> You're fine. Just do your day job. Do your once or twice a week on the air. Everything's fine because people are back in each other's spaces, and it's such a beautiful thing. And Mystic South last year was the first year I went to since the pandemic started, and it was such a joyful occasion, and I'm so looking forward to this year's. And I'm just so thrilled you're going to be there. I'm so excited. Not just going to be there. I can't wait. People I have been dying to see in the flesh are, are coming, and I just think it's going to be ecstatic and a fabulous time. I can't wait to see you. Oh, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah, I have legs. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and a whole body attached and everything. It'll be awesome. Excited. It will be ex- It will be more than awesome. I'm, I'm very, very happy about it. Now, is your, does your live show run through the entire conference? Is it a four-day-long podcast? No. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm doing I'm doing a private show on Thursday, um, and what basically I'm going to do is read about the workshops on the air for the folks that are doing their workshops on Friday, because Friday night is when I usually do the show. That's normally ah. the live show. Um, so Friday night, Friday afternoon, I believe this year, will be my live show. Anyone who can make it obviously is invited. Um, we do welcome an audience. I love an audience. Y'all fucking know me. Anyway, <laughs> but um, if you're if you're around Thursday, you're certainly welcome to uh, come hang out with me and talk to me while I'm doing what I'm doing for the folks that are coming on Friday and doing their 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 workshop before the show. I'm trying to just make sure that there's space for folks to hear about the things that are coming up Friday during the day and Friday morning uh, instead of just right. hearing about it after the fact at the Friday afternoon show. So, yeah, it's, it's just something I'm doing to try to make sure everybody hears about nice. all the cool things that are going on. So it's pretty exciting, pretty exciting. So what else have you got planned? Because, again, we're we're down to like five minutes, and I don't want to miss anything. Have you got another book in the works? Do you have more workshops planned before I see you in July at Mystic South in Atlanta, Georgia? That's that's probably the next place anyone's going to see me present in person is at Mystic South, and I am stoked about that. I Yay. I am trying to navigate how to write a book when you have a job because I I. Again, that was another blessing in the pandemic is that I had plenty of time. And and I, right. I don't want to pitch another book until I know I ha- I, I can figure out how to how to write it. Because <laughs> that well, would give me, me great anxiety. This. Right. What's but that? Have you, but you, you must already know what it's going to be about. I do have a few different ideas. And, and Heather hasn't dis- disca- discarded all of them. That's Heather Greenart, who, who I know you know, my acquisition oh, editor course. at Llewellyn. Love her. Yep, love her to death. She's, she is great. She actually managed to be an author herself. 
I don't know how yes. she does it. I'm like, no, I can't do your life. No, even when I was half my age, I couldn't do your life. No, thank you. I'm old. I'm tired. No, 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 no. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah, I really I don't know if Heather's presenting at Mystic South, but I really hope so. Mhm. I'm sure she will. Because the, the whole like movies and witches thing is fascinating to me. It really is, and oh my God, we did almost an entire hour on Rosemary's Baby because it's <laughs> my favorite, favorite, favorite horror movie of all time. Love it. Yeah, it's a it blast. Was great. We had a blast. So where can people find you? Although I know you don't like being found. I'm going to ask you anyway. Well, I do. I I keep all my social media accounts linked at truepaganwarrior.com. And I also have a blog there, and I try to post something at least every week or two. It usually takes longer than I expect to write a post, but but I'm, I'm always interested in adding more content there. And uh, those are the main ways to get a hold of me. Always so fun when you come on. I really enjoy your company. You're insightful. Your book has been enormously helpful. Empty Cauldrons, if you don't have a copy of it, just buy it, only because you're going to need it at some point. You may not need it today. You may not need it tomorrow, but you're going to want to know that you have a copy of it. It's a really great book. It's helped me deal with a lot of the things that I had to go through. And, and Terrence, you're, you're just wonderful, and I'm so excited to meet you finally in person. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with me. It's always a pleasure. Anytime, Raina. Oh, my God. I'm going to hug you so hard it's going to make your head fall off. <laughs> okay. <I can't> wait. <laughs> oh, me too. All right, everybody. This is Terrence Ward. Terrence P. Ward. Get the right Terrence Ward, author of Empty Cauldrons. So make sure you check him out. Terrence, thank you again, and we will talk soon. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that's it for today. I will be back tomorrow with musician, author, artist, David Wood. I'm had a chance to speak with him before, and uh, he's going to come by for his very first visit tomorrow. I'll see you guys then. Have a good one. <laughs>